0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Savage to Sage podcast. This is the start of 2024, and I'm really excited about kind of the direction and the season that we're going to be taking this. Um, And so just to kind of give you an update of the Savage to Sage uh, podcast, what we try to highlight is just founders' leaders' journey through their kind of like process development and those types of things. So, for this year, uh, we're going to continue to provide safe space uh, for leaders um, on this podcast, honoring leaders' humanity, um, that leaders are people. That is important for us to kind of acknowledge, and then kind of creating pathways for um, organizations and leaders to be able to be them whole, their whole selves. We have found that this is difficult for leaders uh, because of just a lot of pressures external. And we kind of kind of want to create um, a niche in that. And that's one of the things we want to do for 2024. So um, today, I have the privilege of hosting Aaron Arnold on this show. And he is the executive director from Waukegan to college. He has extensive um, experience in youth development um, and nonprofit management and then executive leadership. One thing that's really unique about Aaron is his ability to kind of think outside of the box and his passion for continual learning. Um, and so what I'm excited for Aaron to share on the podcast today is like, what does it look like for leaders to be their whole self? Um, and so Aaron, welcome
1: to the podcast. Thanks, Kyle. It's, it, I'm really excited to be here. And you know, I me, mean, I like to talk, so let's get at it. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Um, uh, so Aaron, you know, share with our audience, uh, kind of a concise botto, uh, your experience that kind of led you at your role at Waukegan college uh,
1: today. Sure. Uh, well, I've spent my, basically my entire career with the exception of a couple, um, a couple years. So 30 plus years investing in the lives of, of young people. I started my career in a, in a faith-based space and, Initially, I wanted to be a, a lead pastor. Looking back, it's just really bizarre to, to say that right now. But um, I enjoyed public speaking. I enjoyed leadership, and then I really quickly realized adults have very little interest in change, and I felt like I was beating my head against the wall. So I pivoted where I thought I could make the greatest impact, which was with young people who are, you know, in that process of forming their values, their their beliefs, their opinions. And, um, that same desire to leverage my time and talent for the greatest good, which is kind of a, a mantra I have. You know, we only have one life, let's live it to the fullest. And, and the way that we can do that in helping others, uh, led me to South America and for 10 years worked with students, um, there, began to, uh, realize, hey, there's a, there's a void in training and, and, um, leadership development, resource development with people who worked with young people. So we started a, a national organization that provided a network to distribute those kind of services. And one, one thing I really believe as far as like one goal of leadership is to work yourself out of a job. So after I did that, I left Chile uh, to expand our efforts globally, um, traveled. you know, I've, I've had the experience to be in about 75 different countries around the world. I uh, started an organization uh, under the umbrella of a, of a larger global missions organization called Youth Hope. And, you know, uh, being in that world for a while, and this is probably a whole other podcast uh, conversation, but I, uh, some personal convictions led me to leave the organization and the faith-based space in general. And that's where I landed at walking into College after a really long search um, I tell all my friends who are applying for jobs, I applied for 60 different jobs prior to uh, finding this one because I really wanted to continue to have an opportunity to invest in in youth in a life-changing way. That's great. That's great. 75. That's impressive. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is, your, is your passport still up to date? It, it is. Um, I, I, now they won't let you add pages to them, so you just got to renew them. But uh Yeah. <laughs> I love that it's, it's really been a part of who I am and how it, you know, what's molded me as a person for sure. That's great. So,
0: um, talk to me about Waukegan, the college, like kind of what, what is your focus there? Tell me a little bit about the history, where it's going.
1: Sure. Well, I, I have the privilege of being part of the leadership and, um, I'm not big into titles. My title is executive director. But that means basically I do all the shit that no one else uh, wants to do or can do. You know, leadership is not as sexy as a lot of people make it out to be. But one of the things that I really love is the ability to to lead with vision and with strategy. Our organization is located in Waukegan, Illinois, which is about 30 miles north of Chicago. And we serve one of the largest high schools in the nation, about 4,500 students. And only about twenty percent of them are considered college ready, which means they have the academic and social emotional ability to succeed in college. And so, we partner with with students uh, and families. Most, almost all of them are first generation, which means their their parents did not attend college. And we provide guidance and support as they follow their dream to pursue a college degree and uh, be who they want to be when they grow up. It's really about educational access and, and equity in, in that space. And uh, this mission just really aligns with my values around justice and my belief that education is one of the most important factors in escaping poverty and, and thriving as a contributing member of society.
0: Love it. Like if you were to like, you know, on that question, like 20%, you know, 4,500 Like, where does that fit on like a national level as far as like, you know, students that are ready
1: for college? That's got to be, I mean, those are kind of shocking numbers. They they are. And, you know, it's what's interesting is uh, Waukegan is the county seat of Lake County, which is the county north of Chicago. um, And it's one of the most affluent counties in the entire nation around it. Like Michael Jordan's house is like 15 minutes from here. You have multi-multi-millionaire billionaires that live in this area. So if you just go 10 miles from where we live, 90% of the students are college-ready at at those high schools that are affluent and have more more resources. Um, Just an interesting statistic, per student per year, the district here invests $16,000 per student per district. Ten miles away in Lake Forest, it's thirty-two thousand uh, dollars. Teachers make twice as much in those districts as they make in our district. So do the math. Like I, you can have all the all the you know desire in the world to be a change maker, but man, you got to put food on the table. So you know, really at the heart of that is we we fund education in this country inequitably because of of, of the basis of property taxes. So rich people have more money in their neighborhoods for better schools and they don't want to share the wealth. So, you know, call me a, call me a socialist, I don't care, but if if we're if we want to make America truly a great nation, we have to have equal education for everyone. And all my friends in business can't find good talent now. Well, if you can't find good talent, what do we need to do? Invest in education.
0: 100%. 100%.
1: Thanks. I mean, that's that's very
0: practical. Like, there's no, if,
1: if, if there's nothing. It's a no, win-win. It's it's not it's not charity. It, it, it's it's like, hey, if you want to have good talent, in, 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 invest in capacity building, right? And higher education is key. Eighty-five percent of all blue chip jobs require a, a, a college education. So let's let's help our young people by making that possible. And I think it
0: goes to kind of like you know going back a little bit to the beginning of like, hey, I. I i wanted to bring leadership to adults and knowing that adults aren't interested in change you know for the most part like that, that, if if you were to ask me for myself what is one of the hardest lessons that i've ever you know had to deal with you know internally it's been my heart's been in the right place but the environment or the market doesn't actually represent it or want to do anything about it you know and with that, I've been hard on myself for that, right? Like, there's something wrong with me. Like, maybe something like I didn't approach the right strategy or whatever. But at the end of the day, there's been so many other examples that I've seen, which has been, no, the reality is, is that there's enough incentive not to do the right thing to keep things the way that they are, you know?
1: Yeah, status quo. It, 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 you know, especially when you when you live in a privileged space. Um, and what uh, i can't remember where i heard this but you know change does not occur without discomfort and when you are in that that you know privileged space and you're like dude life's life's good and someone comes along and says hey why don't you give up some of that good and help other people achieve it you're like that sounds like a good idea but i don't really want the discomfort part you know i and, and we have such a culture of convenience and and uh, comfortability in this, in this society today that, um, it makes change really hard. It's, you know, it's like that physics principle, objects that stay in motion tend to stay in motion and objects at rest tend to tend to stay at rest. Like we need to kick some ass to actually be able to get people to move off of that status quo. And we've seen that happen in in different sectors. And I really hope that the, all the educational crisis that we're experiencing right now, whether it's, the Scoda ruling, or you know, the cost of education, et cetera, causes us to rethink. Because even though I'm a fan of education, I, there's tons of problems with our higher education system. It's one of the most resistant to change systems that exists, and um, we do need a reset. We do need a disruptive uh, force that comes in and makes makes it work for everybody. So, yep,
0: yep, yep, yeah. So. I'm going to talk. Let me just talk a little bit. You know, we're going deep here, which I actually really love. Um, And I'm going to shift around kind of our question set a little bit. But you know, as you've continued in your career, you've pursued your doctorate in leadership studies. And you know, what are some of the unique things that you're learning um, as you progress in this in this in this program? Are there things that are that you've been taught in relation to leadership that are surprising? Um, Are things that are Really affirming to things that you 've currently positions that you currently held, just kind of would love to hear a little bit more about
1: that uh, you know what one of the things that um, one of, some of the first leadership development opportunities that I had that were you know more formal in nature really kind of keyed in on this idea of leadership is influence in leadership studies the the phd program i 'm in they they kind of define three theories around leadership one of them is called trait theory um and that's um leaders are born so it's 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 also known as the great man theory you're born a leader that's bullshit like we all know that that is that yes certain people have certain personality uh tendencies which we equate to be leadership like they're charismatic or they're a good public speaker or whatever that's not leadership that's a skill that can be applied to leadership, but it's not leadership. The second is that leadership is um, is a skill. It's it's something that's learned. And while I do agree with that to some extent, it's also uh, sometimes way too pragmatic in this space that I'm in and in, in, in leadership in general. You know, there's this tension between is this leadership or is this management? It, people like to uh, delineate uh the, the two and, and, and differentiate the two. Um I think when we talk about leadership as a skill, we're talking more about management. What are what are techniques and um methodologies that I can learn that can help me get people to collaborate or help me um you know uh, manage a, a process um and make sure that everyone is uh you know working effectively, etc. The third that is is leadership is a process. One of my favorite books on leadership, which is called Summon to Lead, the the author basically says, um, leaders aren't born nor they made, they're summoned. They're summoned to a specific situation. And if we think about leadership as a process, it's we're walking through this with people. Um, And and it's not hierarchical. Uh, I'm a total fan of flat charts, even though we have a hierarchical chart in my organization. I believe um, I don't know more than anybody else does. Um, I just know differently than other people do, and and we can learn always learn from each other, and we can always lead each other. In fact, that's one of the things we teach our students in our leadership development: is you need to learn to lead yourself, you need to learn to be led by others, and you need to learn to lead others. It's kind of the trifecta of of leadership, and um, you know that's that's one thing. uh, I think that that I really um believe is that when we when we say leadership is influence we're basically saying leadership is transactional and i i I believe in leadership that should be transformational in fact, one of my research topics is um around i thought a big word an epistemology of of hope how do we understand hope and I believe that hope is actually one of the key factors that leaders need to um communicate. One, they have they have to have hope. They have to be sometimes the 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 carrier of hope for others, like when everyone else is hopeless. No, I, I have hope we can do this, right? And then they have to cast that hope like like they cast a vision. Vision isn't enough. Vision is like, hey, we can do this or this could happen. Hope is I believe this can happen. I believe that that we both have the capacity, and we have a, uh, we can create a path to get there, which is are the two components in, in a theory of of hope that I'm I'm using. So I'm really keying in on, on that. I'm also keying in on um, leadership as um, as a relationship. One of the uh, researchers and authors that I use a lot in my research, Paulo Freire, who's an educational activist in Brazil in the '60s, '70s. He said, uh, leadership can't happen without love. And like, if you don't love people, you really can't truly um, lead people. And so I think leadership has been co-opted by uh, too much by business to make it into something that's transactional. Um, And and there's nothing wrong with management. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we got to coordinate and collaborate, et cetera, et cetera. We got to have policies and procedures, et cetera. But that's not leadership. Leadership is inspiring more than it's influencing. It's giving hope more than it's giving direction. Those, those are my thoughts.
0: I love it. I love it. And I think, well, yeah, I'm just taking all that in, uh, to be honest. But you know, I imagine specifically that Brazilian. If I know the Brazilian um, history enough around that time frame when he was an educational. You know, advocate. That's when they were probably fighting a dictatorship there. So to promote education in that time frame would probably be something that was really courageous for him to do. Um, and um, yeah, you, the the impression that I get from what you're saying is that um, leadership is is more personal. Um, it's 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 closer to the people that you're leading than you know typically you would consider leadership. Um, just in general, like kind of like the grand space of leadership. Oh, when I think of leaders, some of the first things I think of, they're incredibly efficient. You know, they're, you know, they're somebody that like is very crisp in their language. They know exactly where they're going and um, they can influence, you know, simply, sophisticatedly, you know, those types of things. The leadership that you're describing is uh, somebody that is moving close, um, that, you know, deeply cares Um, and you know, this aspect of, of hope, providing hope for the people that you're leading, that's, that's a different level of a leader than I would say that's typically is seen within the market.
1: I, 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 am going to not argue with you on this, but I am going to, um, jump in and say, I I don't think we provide hope. What I think we do is we demonstrate hope. And, um, it's just like another thing that I've, I've learned in, in my, my program is, um, like we can't motivate people. What we can do is help them find the motivation. Because the motivation has to come, you know, from within. And if it's not, what it is is coercive. So it's either reward or punishment based, which is um not sustainable, because as soon as that reward or punishment disappears, then they're they're gonna the behavior's gonna change back to where it was. So you have to have have people and that's a much more difficult style of leadership because it's not giving people the the answers. It's asking the questions so that people can find the answers for themselves. And it's
0: holistic for them, right? Because it's not, it's not a platitude or it's not a simple solution for you to do or check off. It's like that person has to be in tune to who they are, how they process yeah. things, how they need to do to get the job done. And for you as the leader, you have to know them well enough to know what would be a potential levers The not the right word, but potential you have to know them to kind of say, "This is how this person's wired. Let's try this to see right. if it
1: will help them go that direction Right, right. And you know we all have we all have our challenges, right um, we've, we've all experienced different levels of, of, of trauma or, or you know things in our past that can really trigger our response to certain things. So that navigating that space, that's why I like coaching so much more than, uh, than and I'm a, a licensed coach I, I um, or certified, I guess you'd say. Uh, I think mentoring and some of those other consulting, I do those, but ultimately they're not nearly as impactful as, as a, a coaching approach, which says, you're driving the bus, all I'm gonna do is help help uh, walk alongside you so that you can figure out how to get there in the best way. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about
0: kind of like, what is the, what does leadership look like around us? You know, kind of like you're honing in on the type of leader that you want to be. And, you know, when you think about leadership in general, like where do you find just in general where leadership is, is deficient in, uh, what's the opportunity in front of us for the opportunity
1: cost because we're not getting it right so i'm gonna i'm gonna come at this from a different angle uh, and and really the angle that i'm that I see the perspective I see things um, from today in my in my work young people are experiencing the the most severe mental health crisis in the history since we've been recording this right um, suicide rates are are Skyrocketed we we just lost a student two weeks ago, junior in college, death by suicide and our 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 nation is a mess, our world is a mess, and um i I, I think all of all of this is happening or at least corollarily to a, a leadership void that we have you know what one thing about leadership that I think is is really important to to understand is the difference between responsibility and authority. A lot of people want authority. But at the end of the day, and I tell my staff this all the time, you know, at the end of the day, the the board, donors, I, I, it's, I'm on the line. Like you're not, I, and I'm not going to throw you on the bus, under the bus. I'm going to take responsibility for whatever happens here, no matter what, because that's what a leader does. And the blaming and the shifting of of responsibility and you know that that's happening in society today I, I, among leaders is it's just disgusting like i don't i don't think like why would why would any 18 year old who just turned 18 and has the opportunity to vote in in november why would they be motivated at all to participate in our political system when for the most part leaders aren't demonstrating leadership and I'm not going to talk about what side is doing what. That doesn't matter. There, you know, um, there is there is a void of leadership, and it goes back to what I said about not being able to lead if you don't love. You can't be a leader for the wrong reason, and hope to be able to lead effectively. You know, I've met I've met some. Very very successful uh, entrepreneurs and very successful business people in my life, and and hang around with a lot of them today, and you can tell right out of the gate, do they really care, or are they doing this um, for themselves? It's hard when you work in this nonprofit space because you can't um, you can't help everybody, you can't fix all the problems. You know, uh, I, most weeks I end the week with. More to do than when I started the week. And, um, you know, we're, we're serving uh, about 100 high school students out of 4,500. Now, we, we started in fifth grade and go all the way through college. We have about 250 students in our program, but we're serving 100 of uh, high school students out of 4,500 in a school that, you know, 80% of them have huge need. Another thing that I think, besides that authority responsibility dynamic, is um, a sense of urgency. Like, we have to do something now about this, this, you know, the, the, the slow change. Like, I, I I don't understand why people don't have more of a sense of urgency. Um, We have young people dying. We have young people giving up um, because they don't see a path forward. They don't have hope that things could, that things can be better. And what we want to do is argue about whether or not, this kid should play on this sports team or go into this bathroom. Why can't we just love, love kids and say, we want, we want to celebrate who you are and help you be who you want to be? Because that's what a leader should do. A leader shouldn't try to determine who someone is and whether or not they should be allowed to do something or not do something. They should support the growth and the, um, the maturation process that they're going through. But um, again, we want to hold on to control. We don't want the discomfort. And so um, we, we've uh, we just got all this fighting. And, and the other last thing I would say about that in leadership is one of the really interesting things that it, uh, a pastor out of Atlanta named Andy Stanley um, said a number of years ago that stuck with me. and I've used this phrase a ton of times is, is this a problem to solve or a tension to manage? And the reason I love that is because um we want to make everything into a binary right, wrong, good, bad, etc. The world is not that way. There is there's a lot of paradox, there's a lot of ambiguity, and unless we're willing to wade into that space as leaders and not make these categorical statements and and, and like this is this is truth or this is right. No. Maybe for you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be super relative about things. Yeah, there are some things that are really bad, pretty much for everybody. But that's the exception rather than the rule. So when we try to impose as leaders on others, our belief system, our our preferences, our opinions, like even, even I read the New York Times every day, and it seems like journalism, and I'm, I'm not I believe in journalism. I think journalism journalism is one of the key components of a free society. When, you know, when you see journalists starting to be censored, watch out. However, there's a lot of opining rather than reporting um, th- that's happening. And that's fine. Call it what it is though. Don't say, Hey, this is news. This is my opinion. Um, and, you know, it's it's sensationalized, et cetera. And so we that binary is just like creating so many broken relationships and and breaking down dialogue in a way that like we've got to talk to each other. and I, it's just the yeah, sorry, I'm this is so, so important. Like the level of hate that is espoused in in whether it's social media, the news, whatever today, is is very concerning to me. Um because you know I I if you if you hate someone, you're not gonna want to talk to them. And if you have different opinions, you're not gonna learn to understand the other person. And again, that's that's uncomfortable, right? But you gotta wade into that space. You have to embrace that discomfort. Um and and that's where it's one part partly one of the reasons I left the faith-based space is I felt like there wasn't an opportunity for that dialogue, like how i how I was evolving as a person and what I was seeing happening, I just couldn't I, I didn't have a voice, and um, I, I don't want I don't want to be in a space where I don't have a voice, you know um, so I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's those are some things that popped into my head. Oh, that's great, that's great.
0: I mean, I think you like these are all real concrete. Um, You know, specifically talking about the mental health crisis and, you know, I know Indiana, one of the things that I was encouraged by is that one of the, um, you know, I have a couple of leader friends that are in that space that are kind of doing stress management at work, you know, specifically kind of like, how do we, you know, my children have calming corners in their classrooms, of course, you know, so that's like, you know, pretty much how to self-regulate, which is incredibly important for people to do adults do. Um, I'm thinking of one, you know, kind of mental health professional, um, that creates, you know, I would say it's, it's a, it's a calming space for adults at work, you know? Um, and just kind of like, Hey, you know, and she worked with the Indianapolis the police department and the next person that, you know, the next group that she's going to be working with is nurses and doctors uh, because of the amount of stress level that they carry, which is a hundred percent appropriate. Um, you know, but, you know, so I think it was maybe 200 or 300% Indiana decided to increase the mental health budget for 2024, uh, which is encouraging, you know, uh, for that to be kind of reality. But, you know, when we look at kind of the decisions that are being made, um, based on dealing with the mental health crisis, um, what's being dealt with is it's not a preventative, um, mental health it's all putting the Band-Aid on top of, you know, the care that the deep care that people need in this state. And so while it's encouraging from a monetary standpoint, it doesn't get to the root core of the issues that people are facing on a day-to-day basis, which, you know, to your point is is failing people. It's failing the society. And so um, just thank you for bringing up just a lot of practical, real life situations as far as like leadership and, you know, where it's missing the mark. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. And you know, one thing, you know, as I was looking through your questions that you sent me earlier, that that kind of pops into my mind too is, and you're talking about health and, 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 and leadership is um, I've got this, uh, I've got this postcard sized um, poster that's on my desk that I bought at a stationary shop. And it's got a hand-drawn porcupine on it. And it says, don't be a prick. And um, I think a lot of people who fit into that, like, born leader, like, the the driven, charismatic. I mean, I, I, I had a PhD in assholery before I started my PhD in leadership studies. Like, I know how to be a jerk. That doesn't help anybody. How can I treat people with dignity and respect, um, as as a leader, how can I not, and and, and going back to the society, like when our, when our top leaders are using junior high, you know, insults to, to, uh, their, their opponents, like what, what kind of example do we have? Like, what are we doing to build each other up? This is not a zero sum game, right? It's not a winner takes all. This is about how can I make the world a better place, and that's whether I'm making widgets at a factory, or I'm uh, you know a doctor, or I'm uh, a teacher, or I work at a nonprofit. You know, it's how do I make the world a better place, not how do I take advantage of other people and be the biggest jerk that I can, and then everyone says, ooh, he's a good leader because he you know he gets what he wants or she gets what she wants like that's, that's just crazy.
0: Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that that leadership type existed until probably about five, six years ago where you could be charismatic. You could be, you know, say all of the right things, perform very well, but not knowing just how important character is, um, to somebody individually and just see it so misused. And, um, for me personally, to be the collateral damage of that misuse, um, I just didn't know that that was out there. Uh, to be completely frank, and I, I know that I was naive to think that, but like, like to your point, there's real collateral damage for poor leadership, um, and I think you know from what I'm hearing from you, like you see that day in day out. You know, like that is. And so for me, it's like, I'm like, okay, your voice is kind of the loudest because you see day in and day out how poor leadership is failing people, you know, and the community and uh, it's not right. And it's not okay.
1: It's kind of like the saying, and, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers, right? People don't leave organizations, they leave leaders, and that's, I mean, that's not a hundred percent true. Sometimes people get a great job offer and they go, but, you know, if they really want to stick around and, but they end up leaving, it's generally because uh, of a, of a leadership void or an abusive um, leadership. And I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of, you know, need a lot of healing and restoration because of, of that kind of leadership. Like I, one of our staff members, she told us, last year at her one year anniversary, she's like, I love working here. I mean, you you're very demanding, high expectations, but no one screams at me like in my last job. No one calls me names like in my last job. Like you actually treat me as a person. I, I just I just think that that seems so basic. But if you do a social experiment, like go to a go to McDonald's and watch how people interact with the person behind the counter or whatever. Like they act like they're a machine, and, and they're not. Like, why not say, "Hey, how's it going?" Like, thank you very much. Please, like civility. Leaders have to model that. It doesn't exist because leaders aren't modeling it, right? Um, they're not. They're not demonstrating the importance of of treating people um, in in a with dignity and respect and. And um, celebrating who they are. So, yeah. As
0: as kind of we finish up with the last couple of questions, what are what are some things that you kind of tend to for yourself to like kind of lead yourself to be the leader that you
1: inspire to be?
0: You know, um, what are some practical ways that you kind of yeah take care of yourself?
1: Well, I'll, I'll be honest. That I if I had to do a self assessment, I don't take care of myself very well. Um, and you know, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Uh, first of all, it's surrounding myself with people who can support me, um, in my life journey, but also in my leadership. I've got a coach, I've got a mentor, I've got a therapist and I I think all of them provide different sorts of support for me. I also love to, uh, I love to learn from, from young people. Um, who are seeing the world very differently and uh from a very different perspective, I think you know the hardest and I, I I told my mentor this we we do this exercise every morning um called five one two it's a journaling exercise and and five things I'm grateful for one thing that is bothering me, and then two things that um I can do to make it a, a great day and this week, one of the things that really is bothering me is like I wish I had the capacity to not care as much as I do. And I know that sounds can sound arrogant. Ooh, and I just care so much about no. But literally I I can't shut it off. And I can't I can't like I can't turn in a grant report that's that's half-assed. I care too much. I can't let uh one of my staff members down um and i I do all that i can and i still let them down sometimes but um like i wish i and and so that that sense of self-imposed uh expectation and responsibility it's heavy and it's tiring and it's overwhelming and um especially in a space like we're in i mean i'm not saying that if you're you know leading a Uh, uh, IT startup that you're not feeling that, but like when we're our our product, our service is you know the success of young people who are marginalized. It could you know I know every decision I make, I know every everything that I do is going to lead to impacting either positively or negatively um, the the brighter future of of a young person and family that we serve. I I guess I don't. a lot of it is, I don't know, you know, I, I just, I take it day by day and, um, I reach out. I'm honest as hell with the people around me that, um, like sometimes I'll, and, and you know, one of the things I learned as a leader early is like, you can't show weakness. You can't like demonstrate. And I'm not saying go in and like unload all of your crap on people because that's not fair to them either right but sometimes i'll go into the staff meeting almost and i'll say listen y'all know i struggle with depression and today is not a good day and i just want to let you know that i'm not asking you to do anything or help me in any way but just know like hey i may not be as 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 gracious as i normally am or like or today like i got a lot of deadlines and i'm stressed out and anxiety levels are super high please Show me grace today, because and so just letting, letting you know, being honest and letting people know, like I don't, I don't see that as weakness. I see that as um, that transparency. Uh, and when you have that, when you demonstrate that, then your staff and your your those that you're leading are going to do the same thing, and then you can help them so much better, right? I don't have all the answers, um, obviously and I don't feel like I'm doing a great job, but I am being honest with people around me and saying, these are, these are my um, areas that I need to work on. You know, my, my, uh, my word for the year is delegate. And people are already getting tired of hearing me say, Oh, I got to delegate. Um, Cause I'm not good at it. I, I'm not. And, and yeah, there's control issues, but there's also like, Hey you got a lot on your plate already. Why am I going to give you something that doesn't feel right, that doesn't feel fair? And yes, their hours worth less or, you know, they they don't have as much to do as I do or what I need to do is uh, that I'm not doing is more important. All those things rational arguments are true, but at the end of the day it's difficult. But if I'm going to grow and our organization's going to grow, I've got to learn to again embrace change. Embrace the discomfort that comes with um, learning to to delegate more, uh, and not just give you know because again I've had a lot of poor examples of that leaders giving away everything that they don't want to do and I don't like to do um, to people as opposed to really being strategic around it and saying like who's the best person to do this? Am I okay? Then I should do it. If not, um, then who is the best person to do it? As a and so. Those are some of the things, um, I, I would talk about, like, I do, I try to practice meditation. I try to exercise, but I'm going to, I'm going to Valley right now on that. I'm, I'm sucking air. I, I got to get back into, I started the year well, and then shit at the fan and, you know, I'm just trying to get back to it. So rhythm routine, those are two words. I'm also focusing on this year. Um, because I do believe if I can find that that pace that rhythm, because uh, I'm a I'm trying to run a marathon at like a 800 meter speed. Like I at least I can't do that, um, and I don't want to burn out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put the organization in in a bad space and the people that I lead in a bad space. So I got to take care of myself.
0: Yeah. Well, I just I want to give you some you know. Uh, from somebody that's done, you know, close to maybe seventy-five podcasts talking with leaders, like that's not an easy thing for any of for any leader <laughs> is to just do the self care. I think we're drawn into kind of the responsibility and the care of the organization, and so that I know that that's difficult across the board. Um, you know, something that you said as far as vulnerability uh, really struck a chord with me because it, at the end of this month it'll be a year since my dad passed away one of the things that my coworker, Daniel uh, gave me was this this black bracelet. Um, and it was based on kind of a, a tribe in, I think, in South Africa or Swaziland. But one of the ways that they mourn, um, you know, a passing of somebody in their community is having them wear a, a black uh, wristband. Um, and so Daniel gave it to me. It was like, hey, um, maybe you can wear this uh in and, in and, and remembrance of like um of just showing the community that like you're grieving something significant. Um and uh so I couldn't wear it um right after my dad passed away. It's just everything was just so fresh. There's just no way. But I was thinking about ways that I could practically like honor my dad with our first holidays without him. Uh, and just having this on like you know um one of the Points of it as well was, you know, very similar to kind of when you were talking to your staff, like today's not a good day. Like me wearing this bracelet, like is me acknowledging like this is something I carry, you know, like this is something that's very real that I carry on a on a practical basis. Um and so I just was really touched by the way that you said that. Um and so thanks for sharing that.
1: So thanks. Yeah, I it's interesting you mentioned, like I don't. I think tokens and reminders are so important. Um, I, I have a lot of tattoos and all my tattoos are tokens and reminders. Like I have, I have an anchor on my, my arm right here. It's, uh there's a verse in the Bible that says that hope is the anchor of the soul. So it reminds me about being hopeful. I have a origami um, crane on my, on my left arm, which is a reminder around peace it is a symbol of, of nuclear disarmament back in the, uh shortly after um world war II. And you know, I think we have to continually remind ourselves. You know, part part of what leaders do is is, you know, cast vision, but we have to cast vision to ourselves and remind ourselves that, yeah, these are the things that we believe in and are seeking. And um, you know, I just I just got two new ones. I got Relentless and No Regrets right here on my on my chest and because i i want to you know one of my old friends told me one time having a few beers and pretty pretty uh open conversation and he's like if there's one word that describes you it's relentless and and i don't know if he meant it as a compliment but i took it as a compliment i'm like damn that's i like that word and i've always it's always been there right and then i'm reading this book um um, right now, called "An Earned Life" by Marshall uh, Goldsmith, who's one of the top coaches in the world, and he talks about this idea of not live, not having regrets. And so, I, I put those two together. Like I'm relentless; I will do as much as I can. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to live with regrets. I did what I could, right? That's allows me to put my head on my pillow at the end of the night and and say, okay. You can't change the world, but you can, as Gandhi said, you can be the change that you want to see in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, Gandhi's a whole other story because he's the top of my list as far as heroes are concerned. So yeah, really cool. <laughs> um, if you're, if you're thinking about last question, speaking about the next generation, if there's one message that you can give them, what would it be?
1: Take risks and live your dream. Um, and, and don't let anyone else tell you what your dream is. Obviously, you want to make sure those risks are calculated, but but yeah, you know, embrace the unknown. You know, like that scene in Harry Potter where he, he doesn't see the the step, the stone that you know this bridge this huge chasm until he actually puts his foot onto it. I mean, that's a great metaphor for you know what I I believe as young people. Uh, it, what, what it looks like for young people to embrace um, the unknown. Also believe in your uniqueness. Uh, there's a lot of people that are going to try to put you in boxes and put labels on you and try to make you think that if you have one you're not good, or if you have this one, you should, you should, you know, try to get to, to be this. Cause that's, that's good. That's bad. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends from, uh, from around the world and, and, cultures that are much more communal and they have like parents have a lot more, uh, sway on what, what their children do, what they study. And they're like, you got to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, right? Well, screw that. Be who you want to be because you're never going to be happy unless you do. Um, you're never going fulfill, to feel fulfilled. And you know, if you're doing what you you're, you love to do, you you can have the hope that the contribution that you're making to the world is going to make it a better place. And lastly, just don't take things too seriously. Uh, and this is like the most hypocritical thing I could say because I take everything way too seriously. But like, have fun. I'll, I'll end with a, a, a quote from my favorite book in the Bible, uh, which is Ecclesiastes, which most people... Think is like the most depressing <laughs> book in the world in the, in the Bible. But uh attributed to Solomon, he says, um, there's nothing greater than to eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Like work hard, play hard, you know, and um find find what you love to do and do it. Uh and, and, and sometimes the two things kind of integrate, right? Um, I mean, I, I, there are things about my job I love to do that just fill me up a lot. I don't, but, um, as, as a young person, like I, no one ever told me that, like, I, I, I don't think I ever really came into my own until I was in my you know, forties. Um, because I was trying to figure out what do I do to impress people? What do I do to, to make people think I'm competent? What do I do to, you know, fit into these categories in these boxes. Nah, it didn't make me happy. And, um, I, I knew at the core, you know, this idea of investing in young people, but, um, there's not, uh, there's not one way to do things, right. Um, uh, it your way, um, be who you, uh, you know, as in my faith and belief, I, I believe that we are uniquely made, um, or have uniquely evolved, however you want to say it. Um, but we have this image of, 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 a, of a divine in us that is, we have to be who we are, who we are. And that sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but be who you are, don't try to be someone else. Another quote I love is, comparison is the thief of all joy. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said that. Be who you are, take risks, live your dream. Embrace, you know, that's that's what I would say to young people. That's what I do say to young people on yeah. a regular basis. So,
0: I love it, Aaron. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited for the audience just to kind of see like uh, practical leadership, um, you know, values that you've shared on this podcast, and um, just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing at Wacougan College, and um, I really love this conversation. So.
1: Thanks, Kyle. It's been, it's been fun. Uh, I, as always, we have great conversations. So I just felt like we were talking. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for having me. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're like, okay. Uh, I hope that you got something out of it, you know? Um, but it's, um, it's, 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 it's what I got. It's who I am. So love it. Thanks for having me. Love it. All right. Till next time.
0: Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.